So tonight I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about discipleship. When I say the call to follow Jesus, we really are focusing in on this word discipleship. And I want to define it. I want to describe it. I want to bring out some passages that talk about it so that we can ensure that we are walking the path of discipleship. Friend, I, I want you to walk out of this room tonight, not assuming, but you are sure that you are following Jesus as a disciple. And if you haven't done that up until this point, we're gonna give a time after my message where we can make these very real commitments to Jesus. But we learn from the scriptures for sure that discipleship is not our idea, but it is what Jesus calls people to not only in the first century, but also in our day as well. In an ancient world, the word discipleship was a common word. It would often refer to fathers and sons in some type of business trade. We know that Jesus was a carpenter because his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And a carpenter was not somebody who made tables. It was somebody who built houses out of stone. This is something that you can find in ancient literature. And so discipleship was often when the father would raise up the son to do the very same thing. This was a, an apprenticeship, a mentor-mentee relationship. It was a very common understanding, this issue of discipleship. Rabbis would also have students. The students were learners. The rabbis were teachers. But everybody in their society had some type of discipleship. It wasn't just exclusive to Christianity. We have like the Greeks were disciples of philosophy and the Pharisees were disciples of procedures or in the interpretation of the law. If you followed our study in Mark, we've talked about the Mishnah and how this is what the Pharisees were very much focused on. They believed that the oral law or the Mishnah was equal to the Torah. And we've discussed that. So they were disciples of not only the Torah, but the Mishnah. We know the Zealots were disciples of protest and they were willing to take down Rome by any means necessary, even through violence. But Christians are called to be disciples of the person and the words and the ways of Jesus. And I wanna give you a definition of what discipleship means. A disciple is a disciplined, committed follower of Jesus Christ, his words and his ways. I have here a disciplined, committed learner of the words and the ways of Jesus. A disciple was a learner. And you know, we never outgrow discipleship. This is something that we always are. We're always a follower of Jesus, no matter how long we've known the Lord. And it's important to know that in their culture, again, as we've studied Mark, we've noted and we've talked about how rabbis never really called their own disciples. It was something that you almost, in an ancient sense, you would apply for. It was a privilege to be a disciple of a rabbi. It was something that you held in high honor and high esteem. It was something that you would aspire to, you would apply for, you would put in a lot of work toward. But no, Jesus sort of flips the script and Jesus walks around and he literally starts calling people. In fact, Jesus calls people nobody else would call. And it's a radical shift as to how things were typically done in the culture that Jesus stepped into. A disciple was marked by the one that was discipling them. It was visible. It was a life commitment and they knew it. And so when we sort of approach the issue of discipleship, friend, I wanna encourage you that no matter where you're at to evaluate your heart. 
It's not a check in the box. Yes, I'm a disciple. It's we evaluate the words of Jesus. We evaluate our heart and we ask the question, am I really following Jesus the way that he defined and described a disciple should? Not my own definition, not my own thoughts, not my own assumptions, but if Jesus says, here's what I'm calling you to do. And then we look at his words, we've got to evaluate ourselves and say, does my life meet what Jesus has actually said? And so tonight we wanna to approach this topic with humility. And I just wanna bring up three points um, that are more than observations, but there's just a lot packed in here. And I categorically wanna go over three things that I think matter when you think about the issue of discipleship, which is important to all of us. And the first is this, we wanna understand the actual invitation of discipleship. And that's the invitation that Jesus gave. Now I can find five passages in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I can find five where Jesus called someone or someones to follow him. I can find five of them. There might be more that are indirect, but these for sure are right there. And I just wanna walk through them real quickly. The first is in Mark chapter one and verse 16. And this is where Jesus calls Simon and Andrew. And it says this, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And listen to this, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And here's their response. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I want you to pay attention to these invitations. Jesus saw them and then he called them to follow him and they all seemingly left something behind and immediately responded. We also have James and John. This is Mark chapter one, verse 19, follows what we just read. And it says, going on a little farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets, immediately called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired servants and they went away to follow Jesus. This is very similar to the first one. Now look at the third. This is where Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew chapter nine and verse nine. And Jesus went on from there and he saw a man called Matthew or otherwise known as Levi. He was sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said to him, follow me. And guess what Matthew did? He did the same thing everybody else is doing. He got up and come, okay, we're gonna work together. And the fourth situation that we have tonight is what the Bible calls the rich young ruler. And this is a little bit of a different situation Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, and someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? I want you to notice the difference here. Jesus called the other ones after he saw them. Now we have someone approaching Jesus, asking him a question. Okay, there's already a little bit different context. And I wanna note that because you'll watch what happens. And Jesus says to the man, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then the man said to Jesus, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? I mean, I think the man's looking for affirmation. It seems very clear from the grammar. What am I still, all these things that you have said, I'm doing. So what else could I be lacking? And friends, he was lacking something. 
Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He walked away sad at the call to follow Jesus. Now in Luke chapter nine, this is a, a call that sort of is like a shotgun. There's several people here in this picture. We don't know how many, but there's a number of actual encounters here that we're reading about. But here it starts in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's a lot here. I know I'm bringing up five passages. They're all focused on the same thing. And we're talking real quickly about the invitation of Jesus toward discipleship. Jesus issues this call to follow him. And there's a lot that we can observe by these five different passages. Some of them apply right away to us. Some of them we've got to consider and maybe some don't quite hit us the same as it did because they're specific in nature. But let me pull out a few points. Number one, the invitation of discipleship offers us first and foremost, a close relationship with God. Do you remember last week we talked about following Jesus, at least in our framework and in, in our frame of mind has to start with what it means to have a relationship with God. This is what Jesus came to offer us. This is what Jesus came to restore us back to. If discipleship is about what we do and not who he is and who we're becoming, then we're all already on the wrong track. It has to be about relationship because God created us for relationship. Jesus came to restore us back to relationship. This isn't, we're not human doings, we're human beings. And so he wants to restore us into people that are who he says that we are and we are so in relationship with him. And what could there be that's greater than knowing God? What greater thing that could we really be after? And notice the story here. When Jesus is approached by the one man in Luke 9 and the man says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Isn't it interesting that Jesus responds to him about the places he's gonna go and he's separating the difference between who he is and following him, whatever that means, and where he's going. Jesus says back to the guy, friend, you don't understand. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I've got no home. I'm a nomad. You wanna follow me? It's not going to be comfortable. It's not gonna be co convenient for you. If you really wanna follow me, you have to understand what you're saying. It's not about what you get or where you go. It's about who you're with. And so the greatest thing about invitation of discipleship is what you get, and that is Jesus Christ. And so it starts and it stays focused on relationship. Number two, the invitation of discipleship demands a clear response. Now, I used to read these passages about Andrew, Simon, James, John, Matthew, and others, and I would think, man, this is a really radical response. I mean, don't you think? It sort of sounds 
weird. I, I used to think like, wow, what if I just walked up to somebody at Starbucks and I just said, hey, follow me. And I just kept going, you know? I don't, I mean, what? I think they would just be like this. They wouldn't follow. They would, they would give my drink to someone else. I don't think they would. But it kind of, in my mind, I didn't understand. Like Jesus just walked up to people and said, follow. Actually, that's not what he did. When Jesus, a rabbi in the first century, walked up to these people that they had already had an encounter, he had already had an encounter with. They knew who he was. So when he issued the call to follow, they understood the privilege that it actually was for them to get this invitation. Friend, it wasn't a radical response. It was a radical invitation. And a radical invitation necessitates a radical response. There is no other way to respond to a radical invitation except the same way or in the same vein that it was given. I don't see the response as radical as I do the invitation anymore. Jesus invited several people to follow him, but not everybody responded the same way. And isn't that mind boggling? Isn't it mind boggling to think that Jesus issued the same call, the same privilege, he offered the same relationship, but not everybody responded the same. And I'll tell you part of the reason why it's because not everybody saw the invitation the same way. Not everybody realized that they were getting far more than they would ever have to be giving. Friend, I'm telling you, if somebody said, Hey, that penny that you have in your pocket, give me that penny. I'll give you $10 billion. I mean, how long would it take you to get your hand into your pocket like lightning, get that penny out of, I mean, if you knew it was a sure deal, like if you really knew that this was a real deal, I give you penny, you give me $10 billion, amen. I mean, the only reason you wouldn't do it is if you thought that it was somehow false. If you thought that it was fake, if you thought that it wasn't real. See, you would have to not understand what you were being offered for you to give up what you had to give. And this is my point is that when some people hear the, invitation of Jesus to follow him, to be his disciple, to have relationship with him, to know him. The reason they don't, under, the reason they don't respond is because they don't understand what he's offering. They don't understand who he is. And he says this to the woman at the well. You remember John chapter four? He said, if you knew, he, I couldn't say this to a woman in the room, but woman, sorry. <laughs> if you knew who was talking to you, and the gift of God that was being offered to you. Oh man, if you only knew, he says that to her. If you knew, she's mocking him. She's mocking him. She doesn't know who he is. He said, if you only knew. See, that's the thing. Some people don't respond because they do not understand. But I'll tell you, a clear response is necessary. And anything but a yes is a no. We cannot negotiate the terms. When Jesus says, follow me, it's on his terms. He's God, we're not. He's the savior, we're the sinner. When he says, follow me, it's always on his terms. We cannot negotiate those terms. But you know what's interesting when you read the story of the rich young ruler? Jesus offers him relationship. Jesus offers him discipleship. But look what it says. This is a man that wanted to be affirmed. This is a man that wanted to, Jesus to tell him that he was already good. That's what he was looking for. And Jesus said, he looks into his heart and he said, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and then come follow me. And look what it says in the text. It says here, he went away grieving. That's another way of saying deeply sad 
for he owned much property because what he had in his mind was greater than what Jesus was giving. Do you you see what I'm saying tonight? It's that you can't negotiate the terms. Why did Jesus call this man to give up everything he had? Sometimes people have a poverty mindset and I certainly am not a health, wealth, always prosperity preacher. And you know that if you've been in Northwest Church, but I don't think God has anything against material possessions. I don't think God has anything against wealth. Some people, God gives the ability to create wealth for kingdom purposes, and that's wonderful. And we need to stay true to what Jesus causes us to have that for, amen. But I would tell you this is that Jesus looked into his heart and he saw that his riches and material possessions were attached to his heart. And he knew that if this man starts to follow me with the stuff that he has, at some point he will fall away. At some point, this will take him away. So I'm going to tell him to give this stuff up now because you can have stuff, but stuff can't have you. Because if stuff has you, eventually Jesus won't have you. And so he told this man, give up your stuff now and then follow me. And you're going to have everything you ever wanted, treasures in heaven. You can't even imagine. But the truth is the invitation of discipleship demands a clear response. And that response for all of us is to follow, but what following may mean And what that cost may look like will differ. Number three, the invitation of discipleship defines our new identity. Hearing and heeding the call of discipleship brings about a new identity for each one of us. The the term Jesus uses, he says, follow me. It's not random. He's saying, go where I go, do what I do, learn from my way, up front, close, personal. You can't become a learner and stay the same in discipleship in relationship with Jesus. You you can't become a learner and sort of stay where you are. We're ultimately gonna be like the one we're following or discipleship hasn't taken root in our lives. Jesus told the rich young ruler what he did because it defined him. That's the difference, it defined him. When your riches define you, when something in life defines you, when your business defines you, when your family defines you, there's a point where Jesus says, if you don't hate your father, mother, brothers, or whatever, and come and follow me, you're not worthy of the kingdom. Why would Jesus say that? Because he's saying, if I'm not first, then whatever is, is going to take you away from me. And have you not found that to be the case? I mean, we live in the same world and we place priority on on things that are not Jesus. And listen, they all will betray us. Every one of them will betray us. Jesus will not betray us. When Jesus is first, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you have everything you ever prayed for or not, it won't matter. And that's the beauty of it is that he's worth more and he always is more. You cannot fully give yourself to Jesus out of obligation though, I wanna warn you of that. You and I can't follow Jesus out of obligation. And sometimes in our world, we might say out of just sort of a religious routine. We can't simply follow Jesus because we ought to, we should, we're supposed to. It has to be an I get to, it's not an I have to. Obligation is not the way of discipleship. See, you will not give up everything that you have and everything that defines you, everything that you were in order to receive all that he gives and become all that he says. We won't do that. We won't do that unless, unless it's an I get to. It's not an I have to. Obligation means that you have to. Invitation means you get to. We get to follow Jesus. Sometimes I think that 
The invitation of Jesus gets changed today. And I would tell you that whenever the invitation of Jesus changes, the power that is attached to the gospel of Christ is not, as a, is not available. I, I, the, the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Friend, I wanna say that again. The gospel, that Jesus, the God-man, came to this world lived a sinless life, died on a cross in our place, was buried for three days, raised to new life, proving that he was God's son. He ascended 50 days later to the right hand of the father, promising that he would return. The gospel of Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. It's just a message in a sense, but it carries power. Power to do what? Power to infect our life and change us from the inside out. If you're, if you're not the same person that you once were, go ahead and say amen. amen. If you're not who you used to be, say amen. amen. The gospel changes our lives. And it's important for us to not only think about this, but realize that it is that power that changes our lives that is attached to the true message that Jesus gives. It's not attached to a negotiated version of that, a lesser version of that. So we've got to read this and we've got to go, when Jesus called people to follow him, man, it was serious. It was serious. Give me your whole life. That's what he was saying. He had no insecurity at all. He wasn't like, you want to give me your whole life? You think like, you know, think that's a good deal? No, he's, he know, he, son of God knows who he is. He didn't beg people. He knew what he was offering and he meant it. And when we come to Christ on his terms, friend, I want to tell you something. The gospel is powerful and it changes our lives. It transforms us from the inside out. Sometimes when I see people not being transformed from the inside out, I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm saying I often wonder if they're born again. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't have the right to judge somebody's eternal condition because I, I, I can't see what God sees. But there are times where I wonder, did you get sold a different version of Christianity? Christianity is on his terms and not mine. And if he says, come and follow me, lay down your life, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me, leave everything behind. These guys left their nets. They left their father. They left their hired servants. They got up. Matthew left his tax collecting booth. He left his business. He left his fancy life. He left it all and he decided to follow Jesus. They didn't leave it for an exciting time. They didn't leave it for an exciting meeting. They left their life to follow life, real life. First is the invitation. Second is consider the cost of discipleship. While it's an honor to hear the call of discipleship, we have to acknowledge there is a cost. We're talking a little bit about that. Luke 14, 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him. And he turned around and he said to them, no, don't, don't, don't you just love how Jesus does this? Large crowds start following him. He's not excited at all. He's not like, wow, there's a lot of people here today. Don't you think, Andrew? Hey, Peter, there's a lot of folks, you know, you're probably worrying about the bread and the fish, but hey, there's a lot of people here. Isn't this great? This must mean we're doing something right. He doesn't think like that at all. He turns around and he says, if anyone comes to me, which they all are, and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Everybody say, ouch. That's how it should feel. 
I mean, don't theologically explain your way out of this just yet. Because that's what we'll do, right? Well, see, Jesus didn't really mean, like, you know, to hate. (laughs) No, he didn't. But he did say it this way because he was really serious. He did not really mean you need to hate your family, but he did mean to say, I'm really serious about this. I'm really serious about who's first. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. And I would submit to you tonight, you're not willing to. You can't be my disciple if you're not willing to give up anything. That's what he's saying. If you're not willing to put something on the altar, trust me, whatever you're not willing to put on the altar will ultimately, ultimately be your idol. This is what he's saying. And he's saying it to the crowds that are coming. And they're all excited. They're all enthused. They're all looking for the experience. And he cuts across all that. And then he he ends it by saying, therefore, salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? Nothing. It's useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The crowds came and they wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to experience his miracles. We're talking a lot about this on the weekend, but follow him, (laughs) be like him, do what he's doing. This is long-term. Can we just go and come and go and come? That's not really being fickle, is it? I mean, when I need something, can I just come back? When I need food, can I just come back? When I need to throw one up to heaven, can I just come back? No, Jesus is saying like, the way you have to follow me is I'm drawing a line and you cross over or you don't. It's, it's all or nothing. That's, that's the terms that we would use. He really knows how to clear a crowd. Jesus gives the call to the crowd by emphasizing the cost. He wants them to consider the cost. I just want us to appreciate this for a second. Just sort of sit with me in this. Jesus, at the height of what men and women look at as success, the height All the people are coming. There's nothing like this in all of Israel. All of the known world, they don't gather for a a teaching. They don't gather for a miracle. They don't gather for a man. They don't. They gather in the Colosseum. They gather for entertainment, just like we do today. They gather for these kinds of things. But to gather around this mysterious, peculiar person who might be the Messiah, I mean, it just doesn't happen. And at the height of success, Jesus makes a decision. It says he turns around. And he makes, he gives this teaching. And I just want to appreciate this for a second. I I did this earlier today. I was thinking about it. I was thinking how when you go and buy something today or when a person pitches you something over the phone, they're trying to sell something to you. I always feel like I'm getting taken for a ride. All right, now, not every salesperson is a bad person. Some of you are salespeople and I know that you're above board. Amen. But sometimes when I go to buy something, I feel like a person 
fails to read me the fine print. I feel like a person will sell me something at a cost that I did not know I had to pay, right? You sell me the car for 30,000, but then I gotta go see the finance man. And the finance man wants to tell me what I don't have and I will need. And by the time I walk out of the finance office, I'm at 50,000 or 40,000. No, I didn't, you know, I didn't do that. But I'm saying, like, don't you feel like when you go to buy stuff, the fine print is kind of like, and just make sure that you know. Like, you don't even get an opportunity to calculate the cost. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You're not even sure what you're going to end up paying. Hey, sign up for this free 30 days. That sounds really awesome. But what you didn't know was that you were going to pay $69.95 your first month, and then you were going to have to go through like 16 hours on the phone to get them to cancel the free 30-day subscription. There's no calculating the cost there. You got taken for a ride. Somebody stole your money. They just didn't tell you that's what they were doing. I want you to appreciate what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is telling people up front, I want you to calculate the cost. I want you to understand what this means. I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. I don't want you to be, uh, negotiate the terms. Here are the terms. Here's the line. Step across it or don't. I mean, it's, 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 to me, I appreciate that. Couple things. Number one, the cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before other people. That's what he says, doesn't he? If you hate your own father, mother, wife, children, you cannot, if you don't hate that, you won't be my disciple. It's an issue of priority. Our relationship with Jesus has to come first. And before we move on, can I ask you a question? I believe we're all mostly Christians, most, if not all of us, all of us, Christians. Have you found that Jesus is always the first relationship in your life? Or is there a lot of things that you negotiate with? Do you have tension in your soul? See, these words, this is why for Christians, we have to stay humble. Because if these words don't cut us like a knife, like, like a surgical knife, We've got to ask God to take us out of being numb and give us that sensitivity back. We've got to stop thinking about what other people need and let those words cut us like a knife and say, oh, Jesus, sometimes I let another relationship get in the way of you. Sometimes I let someone else in my life dictate the direction of my life the direction of my feelings. I don't look up, I look across. And Jesus is saying, being his disciple, he's not talking about being a believer, but he's saying, being a follower. If you're gonna go where I go, do what I do, follow in my footsteps, I am telling you, you have to make sure that the first relationship is always Jesus. And you have to be able to describe in your life practically how you know that to be true. If another person were to ask you to describe how Jesus is first in your life among all your relationships, we've got to be able to describe that because we're living before a holy God who sees everything. The cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before others. He literally says, you cannot be my disciple. Why? Because there always will be conflict. And not everyone could hear this, but it was required. Second point, the cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before ourselves. Jesus has always got to come before ourselves. This is a paradoxical invitation. 
He teaches all kinds of wacky principles, you know, like winning by losing, gaining by giving, leading by serving. Following Jesus means deny yourself. You have to learn how to deny yourself. And so the motivation has to be Jesus. I mean, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing. It takes Jesus to follow Jesus. You know, I don't know if you knew that or not, but it takes Jesus to follow Jesus. It takes the love of God to love God. I mean, it's just amazing. This means that we lay down our rights along with our opinions in order to carry his. And we have to keep doing that. When we come to Christ, we make a decision. This is what we want. When we come to Christ, we make a decision. This is what I'm committed to. It doesn't mean that we're there overnight. It means I made a commitment that no matter what comes in my life, no matter what conflict I have in me or what conflict I have with others, no matter what I might see about the choices that I'm making or have made, I am saying now at this decision of salvation that I will be committed in that point to follow Jesus. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that when a conflict comes in my way, I'm gonna follow him no matter what. And so this is what we know. The cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before ourselves. And that's going to be an opportunity that we have all the time. We're gonna have that opportunity to make that decision all the time. Carrying the cross is about choosing to give your life for something greater than yourself, for me and for you. Jesus carried the sins of the world. The cross was the instrument of death, but we were the point. So he's the pattern in this regard. And he tells us, follow my pattern, give yourself for other people. Give yourself for other people. It's a call to sacrifice. And that call to sacrifice, exchanging the, cro the crown for the cross is really what brings life to people. You have to know this. We have to know this. What brings life through us to other people is when we give our life up. So you think about the things that you're angry about. You think about the things that get you upset. You think about the things that don't go your way. It is in that place. It is currency in heaven where we give up in that place. We surrender over to Jesus in that place where we feel like we're not getting treated the right way or we're not, the fairness isn't happening for us or we're not getting ours or we're not pushing ahead or all of that. When we give all of that up in the name of Jesus, for the advance of God's kingdom in one way or another, whenever we do exchange the crown for the cross, life comes. Life comes. But it's a paradox in our mind, in our heart. We don't believe that. In order to get first, we've got to be first. We think this. And Jesus constantly through the issue of humility teaches the exact opposite path. And you can't find that to be true in your life unless you choose to follow that. You can't. You can't know that humility actually produces greater results than pushing your way forward of your own strength and might. You can't find that out to be true unless you follow the way of Jesus. You can't. You won't know it. That's why the Bible says multiple times that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Grace is not covering for my sin. Grace is empowerment for the life of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about a grace that empowers me to live a life that looks more and more like him and less like whatever I was. The third point that I wanna make as we talk about what it means to follow Jesus in discipleship is we need to make the commitment to discipleship. As we look at the call, uh, we see it's important to understand the invitation. We consider the cost, but you ultimately have to make the commitment. And I told you there's two commitments to make. The first is initially and the Second is one that we make in an ongoing way. That's a daily commitment to Christ. You're just never gonna have a day where you don't have to 
commit yourself to the way of Christ. You just never, it's called surrender. You never, you, you commit yourself to Jesus Christ for the rest of your life in one sense. Salvation, you receive the spirit of God. You're born again. You have new life in his name. Amen. That happens. But then after that, this is where the storms come. This is where the difficulties come. This is where the challenges and the temptations will come to knock us out of what it means to follow Jesus so that we would pursue and follow ourselves. That's where the challenge really is for all of us, those that name the name of Christ. So we have to make the commitment both initially and eventually. Well, the word commitment means a pledge, a promise, an obligation, an engagement. It means that we're involved. It's the state of being bound emotionally or intellectually to a course of action, and we don't give up. We're committed long-term. And there's no relationship that we really respect in life that doesn't have the substance of commitment. Isn't that true? The substance of commitment. And God, by his keeping power, his grace, will allow us to have just that with Jesus. The Lord wants our commitment to be strong. And I would tell you tonight, some of the greatest warfare will be over your commitment to Christ long-term. It will be. You're gonna have points where temptation will come to follow a different path. But the original call of Christ was not merely to believe. And I need you to hear me say this. If you have an amplified Bible and you read the word believe in your Bible, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him. In the Western world, when we use the word believe, we think all I have to do is believe that he exists. That's what we tend to think. I just sort of have to mentally ascribe to his existence. And that's what that means. If you read the Amplified Bible, the word believe has a big parentheses after it. And it's, it, it starts to say, I mean, I don't, I'd have to paraphrase it, but it says like, believe into, wholly rely upon, completely trust in. I love the Amplified Bible. It says, whosoever wholly relies upon, totally, completely, thoroughly trusts in. And you start to like not feel as comfortable anymore when you read the Amplified Bible. <laughs> You're like, oh, I thought I just needed to like mentally agree that he existed. Like I totally, like I believe in God. You know, I believe in God. Guy up in the sky, amen. Yeah, I know I'm gonna walk upstairs someday. It's gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen. And that's not what, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Mentally agree. I get forgiveness for when I sin in heaven when I die and gosh darn it, I'm happy all the way there. You know, that's not what he's talking about. The original call was to follow Jesus, not just believe in him. See, you have to believe in him in order to follow him, but that's just the initial commitment in order to follow along for the rest of, of your life. I'm gonna ask you a question. And this is not rhetorical. This is a show of hands. How many of you know someone who began to follow Jesus and then stopped following Jesus at some point. I just want you to keep your hand up. Raise your hand, keep your hand up. I want you to look across the room, okay? Now, I want you to keep your hand up, keep your hand up. How many of you know more than one person, uh, more than one person, maybe two, three, four, keep your hand up. Okay, more than 10. Keep your hand down if it's, more, okay. Yeah, all right, I got my hand up. Yeah, more than 10. I want you to see the reality in the room. I'm not talking about something that, that, that shouldn't be serious. This is serious. Jesus said these words because he knew it was as serious as our hands were just all raised. That's how serious it is. And then theologically, we try to explain that away. Well, maybe, maybe they were never saved to begin with. 
Well, maybe they lost their salvation. I don't think you can lose your salvation. They didn't have salvation to begin with. We try to theologically explain what actually has happened. Listen, I don't know all of that. I mean, I definitely am in one of those camps. I won't tell you tonight where it is. Take me too long. But I would tell you this, regardless of which way you lean on that, does it not grieve your heart to have every, all these hands up in the room when we actually ask the question? And does it not bring us face to face with the words of Christ and how serious he meant them? He meant them because he knew exactly what he meant or exactly what he was saying. He knew exa- I know exactly what I'm saying. This is going to happen in every generation, every type of person, every nation, every type of person is gonna have this opportunity to fall away, to walk away, to be astray. It's going to happen. And we've seen it in our lifetime. I've seen it far too much. Statistics tell us 70% of Christian kids abandon the roots of their faith while attending the first year of university. 68.5%, it's almost 70. It's that high. First year, not second year, first year. Because they meet some professor that does not love them, that does not know them, but gives them a wildly intellectual pitch to knock them out of this idea of anything supernatural being real that God created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And then they start going after the credibility of the Bible. I mean, and then they just knock off the easy ones, Jonah and the whale and so on and so forth. And they knock off all of those easy ones. And in 68.5% of our Christian kids go to one year of university and they meet somebody that doesn't love them, doesn't care about them, but gives them some wild intellectual pitch. And that's all it took. That's all it took. So it's very serious. When Jesus uses these words, we in our lifetime, in our generation, we're seeing this very real test happen. And so what we must know is that when Jesus calls us, we've got to help people understand more and more how radical, how great, how awesome, how amazing the invitation of Jesus really is. And the way that we do that is help them to see the beauty of Jesus. Because when you see the beauty of Jesus, you understand the invitation that he brings is incredible. Like you and I have found the greatest thing on earth. We found the greatest thing in the world. And we've got to make sure that we share that same thing with other people in the way that it's brought us into saving relationship with him. In the gospels, you find moments where people deserted him, followers left just like we've seen it, had our hands up tonight. And we are committing though to the mission of Jesus in our life, and that may result in death. Look what it says here as I close. Jandy, you can come. John 21, listen, listen to these words. Jesus has been resurrected at this point. And his disciples are talking with him. Verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, he already says this to Peter, but he says it to him after he tells Peter that he's going to die. Peter, you're going to die for me. That's what following me is going to cost you. He tells him what it's going to cost. And so he wants him to make that commitment upon his ascension. Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. And before he does that, he looks Peter in the face and he tells him, this is how your life is gonna go. You are going to die for me. And I want the commitment that you initially made to be as true today as it ever has been. And then he says to him, and this may have been his final words, I don't know. He said, follow me, follow me. One of the first things that he says to Peter, one of the last things that he says to Peter, follow me. When it gets hard, follow me. When it doesn't work out your way, 
follow me. When your prayers don't get answered, follow me. When everyone else falls away, follow me. In the middle of a pandemic, you guys know where I'm, come on now. Come on now, come on now. Follow me. Jesus calls us out of the crowd to a lifestyle of discipleship. What does that mean? What does that look like for us? What does it really look like? I will tell you what it is not. It is not comfortable. It is not going to be convenient. It is going to be costly, but it is worth it. It's worth it. And I would tell you this, whatever discipleship means for you, you haven't gone all the way there yet. I need you to hear me say that. Whatever discipleship means for you, you have not gone all the way there yet. If you allow yourself to think that because you're a Christian, that you're just, everything's great. You might be right with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. But that's not what it's just about, what we're talking about. Jesus doesn't just want to have us to be right with him. He wants us to also just follow him. He's giving us his mission and his ministry. And he's like, now that you're part of the family, follow in my footsteps, in the life that you have, in the people that you're around, in the job that you work, with the kids that you raise, with the parents that you have, and the family that you're a part of, follow me the sphere that you have, the, the amount of money that you have. All that you have is his, the skills, the gifts, all that you have is Jesus. It's Jesus's and his first glory and his purposes. Follow me. Through everything, with everything, follow me. I want to approach this uh, with humility. There is a call to follow Jesus tonight and I just want us to pray over this for a little while, to enter into discipleship for 2022. Follow Jesus in, our wor- in the word of God. Follow Jesus in prayer. Follow Jesus with church. Follow Jesus with mission. Follow Jesus in sharing our faith. Follow Jesus by deepening our marriage on spiritual principles. Follow Jesus in the way that we disciple our children. And yes, connect with our adult children. Follow Jesus by reaching our friends and family. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And we give up on these things. We give up on them. And so nights like tonight, we're not saying I'm already doing that or I've already done that. There is no already done that. We might be already saved, but now we're in the midst of that. And so every night is a night of commitment. Every time we talk about this, we've got to commit ourselves to it. And so I want to call you to that. I want to call you to a commitment to Christ a greater commitment than you have right now, a sustained commitment that you have made the profession of your faith, but now asking the grace of God to be the wind in your sails to take you into 2022 to do all that Jesus is asking you to do, to be all that Jesus is asking you to be as a disciple. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.